it is necessary to investigate before legislating. But the line between investigating and persecuting is a very fine one. The investigators tell us it seems the suspect was going to pass them, then turned and fired. Christine, Laura, what you're seeing behind me is one of multiple locations. Arise to support the impeachment of President Donald J. Trump. And I'm about to talk to him about allegations that he was involved with prostitutes in Moscow and that the Russians taped it and have leverage over him. Before we get to our guest, I wanted to talk to you about something that's really important to me, which is privacy. Moving money around, moving information, sending messages in today's world with Web 3.0 coming down the pike. Privacy is very critical, especially to a journalist like myself. Utopia P2P is a complete privacy ecosystem. It's a 360-degree approach to privacy. It includes everything you need to move information or value around the world. It includes a encrypted messenger service, an email platform, and cryptocurrency payment system. It's fully decentralized, so it's not on any main server. It's based on blockchain, so it's distributed. It has an unmatched level of security. It has a feature-rich toolkit on the system uh, that supports 28 languages. There's a very low barrier to entry, and it also supports Bitcoin and also their coin internally. So if you're looking for a way to move information and money around the world where you don't want prying eyes uh, looking at what you're doing, go to Utopia P2P and have complete privacy on their system. And now let's get to our guest. Welcome back to Information Operation. We have back with us today, Matt Termont, who just got back from Europe, and we wanted to get an update on the, on the populist movement that is sweeping across the continent in the face of this medical and uh, literal tyranny that's uh, happening in Europe. Welcome, Matt. Good to be back with you, Todd, as always. So let's start with Hungary, uh, and we'll do a, a around-the-world tour of the continent. Um, sure. What's going on in Hungary regarding, I know they're fully vaccinated, but what's happening with the mandates, with the political situation, with, with the populist movement, with the European Union trying to take down the government? Well, I was there a couple months ago. I, uh, uh, I spoke at a conference and then stayed longer and, and did some meetings and just reconnected with friends and contacts in uh, Budapest and the great city, Paris on the Danube. Uh, and at that point, they did reinstitute, as I was leaving, some uh, some stricter guidelines on mm -hmm. uh, uh, for COVID and people interacting and uh, public events and uh, mass transit uh, type uh, uh, type guidelines. Uh, but by and large, the people take it in stride. It's not as obsessive as we see in uh, lefty places. And this is Budapest, which is sort of the center of the Hungarian left. Uh, they've got right. a mayor, uh, you know, Orban and Fidesz. Uh, I, I, I like to break it down kind of simply that in the one third of the country that is sort of the center where Budapest is, the Budapest metro region, uh, you know, it's only 10 million people in the country. And so two and a half or three million are sort of in the greater Budapest metropolitan area. Uh, you know, Fidesz would lose, uh, you know, uh, two thirds to one third. But then in the other two thirds or 70 percent of the country, Fidesz would win two thirds, one third. So if you blend that up. It, it, it comes out to somewhere between 55 and 60, 62 percent, depending on, you know, how accurate my weightings are. Yeah. Uh, and so I think Fidesz will be fine uh, in the election. Uh, in fact, I've got a, a 
piece coming out, you know, maybe next week that I uh, helped uh, helped helped edit and write with uh, with the Fidesz foreign policy uh, uh, advisor uh, Andres Laszlo about the opposition and how fragmented it is. It's actually pretty mm. interesting. Uh, the only way they could have a viable uh, opportunity to uh, to make this some sort of binary race, Orban uh, versus the uh, versus the opposition, is to bring the opposition together. And so the entire opposition is cobbled together from uh, so, such disparate parts of the political spectrum as the far right Jobbik, which Orban had done a masterful job of defanging, defenestrating, and neutering uh, in his earlier earlier terms, uh, and then the uh, far left Greens, or even and some of the center left, uh, you know, the mm -hmm. Budapest metropolitan elites. Uh, and so their candidate, uh, Peter Markizai, is a leftist activist, and he is a little bit of a, of a wacko, as I'll point out in this uh, article that, uh, that Andrush uh, and I penned. Uh, he's a, uh, I mean, we've got him uh, saying anti-Semitic comments, which the irony is that he's the lefty, and Jobbik was historically the domicile of the last you know, 20, 30 years of uh, Hungarian uh, angry nativist anti-Semitism, you know, uh, hmm. protocols of the elders of Zion anti-Semitism, like really yeah, yeah. crackpot stuff. Uh, so here you've got the lefty candidate spouting off on uh, saying things like, oh, Fidesz, that's where the Jews are. Uh, so I don't think they have much <laughs> shot. Uh, the only thing that binds them, the only tie that binds is their uh, desire to take away power from Fidesz and Orban and, and control the government. But I can't imagine that if they caught lightning in a bottle and somehow managed to win, which I think is almost a zero probability uh, that they would last very long because they'd be fighting amongst themselves. Uh, they yeah. Don't, uh, they, they don't, there really is no, there's no, uh, there's no platform. There's no, uh, there's no uh, policy issue base that brings these disparate elements of the far left and the far right together, except that they want to, you know, push out Orban and Fidesz and, and take power. And I think that's not lost on most Hungarians. I think that also sets up Fidesz for a very, very strong renewed mandate. And then at that point, my, my view is that Orban will look toward retirement. It would be yeah. his last term. He will go more into the party politics behind the scenes as an eminence Greece and uh and anoint uh successors of which uh, hungary's got a very very deep bench of of really strong uh charismatic strong intellectual uh but pragmatic uh political leaders that uh, are in his government like peter peter Sciarto, the economics and uh, foreign minister uh kathleen novak who's just uh been pushed toward the presidency uh the uh, the family minister and uh and uh, judith varga the uh, the justice minister so i think that uh that the hungary's uh, very very stable politically which is uh good for checking the power of the eu because of the mechanisms in place when they right. want to sanction and censure EU well that, that was my question you're, you're, an you're an advisor to governments you're an investment banker do, do, does the does the visegrad group still need the eu money yes um, yes okay yes okay. it's uh it's a big part of their budgets uh you know okay. the, the whole carrot that they use to get this uh uh this uh cohesive uh ascension in 2004-5 with the slavic and central european countries was we will help fund and implement your convergence on western european standards on roads on uh on policies uh related to trade and commerce uh what they did not bargain uh for the uh the the those who ascended into eu membership uh was that they would try and control so much of the political 
portfolios of domestic nation states like cultural issues, borders, mm -hmm. some economic issues that are, you know, uh, 28, 27 member EU states have different economies, different growth rates, different uh, different industries. Southern Europe is much more agricultural. Northern Europe is more industrial. Mm -hmm. uh, Western Europe is more nuclear power. Uh, Central Europe is more coal driven power. So there are these different uh, competences that need to be maintained by domestic nation states to to be successful to to maintain their positioning and deliver uh the basics of government to their citizens and uh the eu has tried to uh uh, impede those decisions or policies or philosophies that don't mesh with a classic Western hard left elitist standard, whether it's on green energy or borders and migrants uh, or, uh, you know, the, the role of the church and the role of, you know, abortion, uh, uh, LGBT mm -hmm. in schools. Uh, which is a big issue in Central Europe. The EU says it's, you know, uh, a, is violative of human rights to not push LGBT ideology. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, something that Poland and Hungary have pushed back on quite a lot and other Central European uh, nations have followed the lead, maybe to a lesser degree. Uh, you know, Czech, the Czechia, Czech, Czech Republic, Czechoslovakia yeah. has always been much more socially liberal than uh, Poles and Hungarians. Uh, so, but there are, you know, Europe is a... Uh, is a, a federalized community of nation states that have different cultures in the do, EU. Do you, believe, you, do you partake of the view that the EU is really just a vehicle to to expand control over most of Europe by the hard left or by yeah, some type of entity? I, I don't. I don't even think that's up for debate. If you look at the. Yeah. Uh, philosophical thinkers who espouse the plan starting in the late 1940s. Uh, they name a prize for Jean Monnet, M-O-N-N-E-T, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the you know for cohesion and uh, you know bringing Europe together and and and, and furthering the goal of a one Europe uh, uh, continent uh, and these are all hard left French thinkers and I always say in my writing and my speaking that the EU was a French academic project an intellectual and philosophical project and a German economic project. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the most industrious nation in Europe, culture matters. It is very culturally driven. Uh, obviously, we helped the Marshall Plan and not having to uh, pay for military defense uh, for so many decades helped them funnel that capacity uh, into rebuilding industry. But the culture matters. And so it's, it's a highly northern Europeans are much more industrious uh, culturally. And, you know, I, I'm a big believer geography is destiny. There's a reason that, you know, the lagging economies for not just, you know, the EU phase of human history, but for thousands of years, Spain, southern France, Portugal, Italy, Greece, when the weather is good and agriculture grows uh, abundantly with ease, you don't need to become highly industrious as a culture, as opposed to look at the Netherlands, which was, you know, a bunch of little kingdoms that had to come together for the common good under Protestantism, which is also very, uh, uh, you know, an industrious uh, mentality, uh, if you read Weber and the Protestant ethic. Uh, but they had to come together to tame the land because of the low, they call them the lowlands, the Netherlands, uh, the, the propensity for flooding. They had to come up with an industrial dike system. Uh, to manage, to land, to, to engage in successful land management and make their uh, their lands uh, arable, fertile, and, uh, you know, uh, maintain them so that they can grow crops. Uh, the city, same thing. Look at Amsterdam and the bridge network. Uh, so, I mean, these these things are, none of these things are coincident factors. They're all yeah. driven uh, by, by the destiny of geography, of culture, uh, of human uh, evolution and cultural evolution in their societies. Uh, so, you know, that's, uh, you know, we covered Hungary. Uh, so let's go to the other part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire of Austria and then Germany. Where, where, how do you see them happening? 
Well, I mean, Austria is ground zero now. Vienna is ground zero for the vax mandate, vax passporting, uh, you know, fiat diktat policy uh, coming from the top down and people are really revolting. Uh, now it's they, and, and, and now it's not just Austria was the first, but Germany's following suit. Olaf Schultz, who's a, uh, 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 you know, they, they call him a centrist. But it, I, when I hear that, I just, you know, lefties, I mean, mm-hmm. kind of like, what do you call a Massachusetts Republican? Like, Right. Or Charlie <laughs> Baker, a Democrat. Right. right, right. Uh, the uh, the uh, the supposed centrist German, uh, you know, has a coalition with FDP, SDP and the Greens. Uh, they, they froze out CDU, CSU, the uh, sort of the ultra the apotheosis of the German establishment, the uh, Christian Democrat Union uh, and the Bavarian, the Bavarian uh, uh, partner, uh, sort of uh, uh, a coterminous uh, uh Christian Democrat Party, the CSU, uh, they they got frozen out of government, no coalition. They, now this is Merkel's uh, Merkel's party, and this is really the establishment of Germany. So there, there's you know the FDP and the SDP uh, have uh, you've got you know some sort of social democrats that are further left. You've got some sort of more business oriented center righties, and then you've got the Greens who are Greens, you know European yeah. Greens, you're a special sure. breed uh, of ostriches with their head in the sand uh, that you could re that you could organize developed world societies based on green initiatives is, is, is ludicrous. I mean, the, the, the market was finding out in the US. Yeah. Same. It's the AOC types. I mean, they're, 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 this is where the activism of the counterculture, you know, went from, you know, race and civil rights and LGBT rights to the next evolution of how do we control society uh, from the top down is forced by environmental green issues. Uh, And so I don't think this, you know, I think that, they managed to pull together a coalition to freeze out Merkel's establishment, which, you know, good on them. But they also, much like the Hungarian issue, they have a lot of disagreement on policy. The business-oriented guys uh, are very into uh, getting Nord Stream 2 online and getting that cheap, uh, that cheap sweet uh, Russian, uh, Russian gas and oil uh, across the Baltic, bypassing Central Europe and putting their Central European economies in security risk. Under uh, our getting- nuclear umbrella. Yeah, and then getting that into Germany <laughs> to uh, to feed the uh, the industrial the German industrial hegemon the machine, uh, but then you got the Greens who are very anti Nord Stream too. So I think this is going to come to a head uh, in the next few months. I could actually see mm. German coalition falling apart, much like uh, the Italian did when you had the right of center populace and the left of center populace with Liga Nord now Lega and Salvini on the right, and then uh, the lefties and uh, Beppe Grillo the Five Star Movement. Uh, they uh, they they power shared a government a few years ago that fell when the lefties threw the righties under the bus and got back together with the lefty establishment. Uh, and so Italy and Italy is actually, you know, I think Italy Italian politics are not my favored, uh, you know, outcome and control, but they're stable. I don't think you're going to see early elections, even though you've had a mm. switch with the president retired due to illness and the prime minister is going to be coming in president. So, you know, I need to pick a new prime minister, but I think they'll have the numbers in this coalition to select and they won't need early elections this year. And so right now, Italy's on pace for elections in 23. And we'll see, you know, if Fratelli and Lega Nord, Lega Salvini's group can uh, bury the hatchet and, and work together, in which case they're very viable. Or if uh, the Lega people all go over to Fratelli, Georgia Maloney's party, that's viable. But right now they're fighting so uh, so uh, internecinely that uh, and the vitriol between these two righty parties that agree on most issues uh, is uh, is is deleterious. It, it will it would split the righty vote and the righty the righties uh, the sovereigntists the conservatives relative conservatives it's still Italy uh, would uh, would uh, would be frozen out in twenty three if they don't get their act together. Uh, Let's talk about yeah. France. Does Zamor have a chance? 
Yeah, so I was in France. I was in France and Switzerland quite a bit uh, all through mm -hmm. December. I, I was at the European Parliament. What a shit show that place is! Mm -hmm. uh, with uh, with Jason Miller from Getter, and we did some oh, yeah. presentations and talked to you know AFD and Italians and the French, uh, the I, the IND group, Identitarian, and the ECR group, and some independent groups. So we had you know good 10, 12 countries interested. Uh, their MEPs and learning about Getter, and it's accelerating as everyone now knows. You know, Getter's doing really well, and I'm advising on European strategy since I spent so much time there. And I believe in the project. Uh, but, you know, I was in Strasbourg and just watching the European parliamentary, parliamentary uh, structure system debate. It's an unbelievable building built close to the Rhine. And what a waste. Totally empty. You know, a, a lot of people do know about this, that, you know, they for Fran France uh, forced the issue since they were such a waiting intellectually and politically in the EU formation that they would have to, you know, uh, it was widely agreed uh, by the Benelux, Germans, French, okay, Brussels is sort of the, the, the seat of Europe and the access to uh, the UK. And uh, so it made sense. Uh, but France was able to uh, coerce a secondary EU capital, which is Strasbourg. So one week a month, all of the parliamentary procedures, documents, offices move with a fleet of trucks that get driven from Brussels. I mean, we're talking everybody's documents in their offices get driven from uh, from Brussels to uh, to Strasbourg, uh, you know, several dozen like trailers filled with with stuff moving back and forth every so month. Efficient. It reminds me of uh, <laughs> uh, the uh, the joke we used to make about the uh, the, the Obamacare stimulus and the American Re Recovery and Reinvestment Act. It's about jobs. It's just about yeah, jobs, right? You know, which right. is really patronage because these are not sure, market uh, market driven efficient. Somebody's got to drive those trucks, right? Somebody's got to drive those trucks. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's got to, you know, build a truck. Somebody's got to, you know, the tolls, all the, all the economic ripple effects. But it's such so, nonsense. Before and, we uh, jump off, tell us about Zamora. What, what do you think his chances are? He, so I was in Paris and the mm -hmm. energy, there's very, very little. I think the polls are nonsense that say that, you know, Zamora is, is, is not really uh, ahead of Le Pen. That's kind of neck and neck. I think that if the election was held today, I think you're going to see defections from Le Pen's party to Zamora, uh, who started mm -hmm. this new, uh, you know, reconquest. Uh, party. Uh, he doesn't have any party structure, but because he's so well known and he's people are so interested in him, I mean, people know him. I think he's acceptable to a lot of the fed up middle class, even sort of salon types, the uh, the you know, the intellectual elite. There's a lot of intellectual elite right. and see where France has gone. They could never vote for Le Pen. Uh, because of the history, because of her, uh, but they can, I think, vote for some more. He has crossover appeal. So I think that uh, there'll be a coalescence in the next you know, 30, 60 days of the political figures around her going to him, as well as uh, the people who are who make up her base for the last three to four cycles, the last several years. It's time for, I think, Marion Marshall is going to end up supporting uh, Zamor, you know, uh, Marine's niece, who's got quite a political following and is uh, the future of, of French righty uh, politics. She operates this school in Lyon. She knows that education and culture matter to inculcate the next generation. And she's she's on merit given much weight uh, as a political critic and an activist. So. I think there will be a big coalescence. But, you know, I was driving in Switzerland and when I was in the French side of Switzerland and I was listening to French uh, French language radio, it was like every talk radio was just about Zamora. It's just you you, you flip the yeah. dial, you hear Zamora and then you hear Zamora's name in another voice. And then again, same thing in France when I was driving from Strasbourg to Basel. And it was, uh, you know, and, and then I have friends in France sending me pictures, spontaneous rallies by the Eiffel Tower on just a random evening. A bunch of people get together and hold up a bunch of Zamora signs and it goes from 20 people wow. to 50 to 100 people very quickly, very spontaneous too. It's not like 
super organized, uh, which is interesting. So it tells you there's a lot yeah. of demand. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's, uh, I think some more is very, very viable and April. Uh, so April 4th, I believe is the Hungarian election. And then April 14th is the first round of the French and April 28th is the second round of the French. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, Q1, Q2, uh, then we've got, uh, Brazil, uh, we got Colombia later this year. Uh, uh it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting. So last question. Um, you know, we're having a real awakening here in the U.S. I think people are really aware of the medical tyranny and all the other stuff that's happening uh, from a top-down level. Is Europe getting there? I mean, or is yes. it just country by country? What, country what are your by thoughts country, on that? but I mean, uh, France just had a massive rally. Uh, Florian Philippot, who is a, a former Le Pen deputy who's running, he started a new party just based on this issue, based on government yeah. overreach on, on health sovereignty, on, on sovereignty over mm -hmm. your own body. And, uh, you know, tens of thousands, you know, that organizers say 100,000, the Paris mayor's office says 20,000, so split the middle, it's 50,000, yeah. 60,000. Yeah. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, you on a rainy Saturday afternoon, tens of thousands of people, undisputable tens of thousands of people, uh, you know, walked the streets centered around La Invalide, which is where Napoleon's buried. And uh, they had rallies. They had, you know, political players and lawyers and people really. Uh, Steve Bannon gave a, uh, had him set up a, uh, a greeting. And yeah, I saw that, yeah. Uh, yeah, he did a, a good, you know, minute and a half, you know, rah, rah, the troops, that this is an important movement and all over the West. We're, we're with you. We're fighting these same battles. Uh, you're seeing it in Germany and Hamburg. And, you know, the irony to me is Hamburg. Hamburg is like the center of lefty, uh, lefty Germany. It's basically Scandinavia. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you juxtapose that with uh, with East Germany, Thuringia and Brandenburg, where AFD can get up to 30 percent support and even be the leading party and vote getter on regional uh, regional parliamentary elections or on the nationalists. Uh, and then you've got Hamburg, where AFD does, you know, 5 percent because it's basically Sweden or Denmark. Yeah. I mean, it's just south of Denmark. It's uh, it's uh, it's very Scandinavian and it's sort of social uh, social Democrat uh, type mentality and political modality. Uh, and even Hamburg, you're seeing tons of protests every week. People are going to the streets and saying, you can't make me a second class citizen. Look at what France Macron said. He said, Wes, we are we're not going to tolerate the unvaccinated. We are going to make them second class citizens. We're yeah, amazing. Amazing. He said it out loud. He said it out loud. He said the quiet yeah. part out loud. The same thing the American left is thinking, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Well, Matt, thank you so much. We want to have you back on on a regular basis because yeah, you bring so much insight into Europe, which is a big focus of CD Media. So thank you much for your time. My pleasure. Take care. See you Later. soon.